You done? Yep. Okay, good. Mm. Get yep. your warm-ups. Hugh Laurie Laurie Taylor, Hugh Laurie Laurie Taylor. <laughs> Yeah. Hugh Laurie, Peter Laurie, Hugh Laurie, Peter Laurie. <laughs> That's funny. Who's Laurie Taylor? Sociologist on the radio. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Hugh Laurie, Peter Laurie is really good. Okay, let's start. Welcome to Save Me From My Shelf, a literature podcast where we take classic tomes off their pedestal to make you less anxious about reading them. Our jokes come from a place of love and for a specific teaching purpose. However, if you think that making fun of great literature, and maybe some mild swearing, is offensive, this might not be the podcast for you. Hello, you are listening to Save Me From My Shelf, a literature podcast. I am Dr. Abigail Boucher, and uh, Bangers and Mash sitting across from me is... Daniel, no credentials. Sorry, I'm in a kind of weird headspace because this is coming out on Thanksgiving, day before Thanksgiving is in it? America. All right. Yeah. I've got a PG cert in social science research, so don't even <laughs> get, get down on me on for that. I didn't realize it was Thanksgiving. Uh, yeah, of course. I did briefly entertain the idea of doing some more American lit. I just wanted a bald eagle to fly this podcast to you through a flame and hoop of liberty, but then I remembered that Thanksgiving is just a celebration of colonialism and genocide. Like so the best that. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So the one announcement we have is our David Tennant update. So for those of you who don't know, I proposed at the end of our Crucible episode that David Tennant and I, cast as John Proctor and Abigail Williams respectively, should do a sort of film adaptation, a sort of saucy, very grown-up film adaptation of The Crucible. David, I've decided to get cracking on the script, so when your latest project wraps, we can hit the ground running. I sent the script over to your PA. I uh, haven't heard anything back from you yet, so I'm a, I'm a little concerned that you haven't gotten it. Or maybe the issue is the script is a little racier than I had initially proposed. Maybe you just need some time to mull it over and adjust to the new direction, but... Limber up. Limber up. I, what I really, Daniel, what I want to do is deconstruct the idea of an adult film. I would like to do something that gets a standing ovation at Cannes. It's important to me that this is classy and a bit of a thinker. I want people to watch this and then an hour later go, why two pizza delivery guys? <laughs> so, David, hopefully that will assuage any anxieties you might have. I look forward to hearing from you. Disturbing stuff. <laughs> so, Daniel, what is our text today? Um, first, thanks, by the way. Thanks for not saying anything. But I feel like it should come up, right? You know, the, uh, the elephant in the room that I've got two gushing wounds in the middle of my head where my eyes used to be. Well, it, it's rude to point well, out. Yeah, exactly. It's pretty hideous to look yeah, at, yeah. to be honest. I'm a... Well, I wouldn't know, but... <laughs> um, yeah, I've done a few things that I'm not proud of. Are you well? You're, you're not looking very well. Do you want to reschedule this, or...? No, I think we should press on. I mean, but the problem is, is obviously, I haven't read the text because I'm incapable of have, doing so. Yeah, yeah, okay. I mean, the irony is that the main reason I poked my old eyes out was because I, I've never really, you know, I'm a comprehensive schoolboy. You know, I never really had any classical learning. My parents didn't scrimp and save. They're very selfish. I hear we're doing Oedipus the King by Sophocles. So it could have all been resolved had I just waited. You're going to be on your own for most of this, I think, because obviously I haven't read it. But. That's fine. Would you like a tissue for your everything? Uh, mm -hmm. Just like maybe a flannel or something, I think. I think we're in flannel country. <laughs> <laughs> 
Congrats, that was the worst picture of the scene yet. Boy, you just jumped, you leapfrog straight over the trigger warnings. So it goes without saying, we're gonna spoil this play for you. Trigger warnings are incest, lots of casual chat about infant mortality, dying in childbirth, plague, murder, blinding, and suicide. Right, would you like to discuss a little bit of background? So it's got a few titles, doesn't it? It was originally called Oedipus Tyrannus, which I suppose means Oedipus the Tyrant, but Tyrant didn't really have quite as strong a meaning back then, did it? It's also known as Oedipus Rex, isn't it? That's probably quite a common meaning. That's Latin for Oedipus the King. You're a little annoyed about Oedipus Rex as a title. Well, it makes it sound like um, it should be in Jurassic Park or something. <laughs> God, could you imagine? Yeah, don't move. You know, he can't see you if you don't move, or any time, in fact. <laughs> Written in Athens, wasn't it? The older democracy uh, by Sophocles, just before the Peloponnesian War. So there's a bit of political commentary there, maybe, talking about the role of kings and mm -hmm. their relation to the population. So, yeah. Well, you, I mean, you say it was it was written, and this is Sophocles' version that was written then, but the Oedipus myth had, as we're going to discuss in the summary, it's, it had been going for quite a while, so this was sort of a popular fable, yeah. popular morality tale, if, if you can call it that, that everyone would have more or less known yeah. anyway. Well, it's like about Shakespeare again, isn't it? It's, a, it's about the playwright adapting a pre-existing story yes. in his own way. Um, so if you think about, actually, a, a, a good contemporary example is all the different film versions of Cinderella we've gotten in the last yeah. 20, 50, 100 years. We open in Greece on the royal house of Thebes. And the problem, as I was just saying, is that the audience would already know the background of this story from oral tradition, so they don't actually tell you, if you're watching the play itself, the important context, mm. except, I mean, we get it in the stage directions. So here is what happened, basically, that you don't get told in the play properly. Back in the day, one of the gods sent a sphinx to guard the entrance to Thebes, and it asked all newcomers to the city a riddle. And if they can't answer it, the sphinx eats them. What is a sphinx? It's got a woman's head and a lion's body. And the wings of an eagle. And, uh, <laughs> have you seen that Angra painting? Go on. Uh, it's got, it's got a woman's chest as well. <laughs> oh, of course you'd know that <laughs> it's, it's a very funny painting. Mm -hmm. The sphinx is a bit like, my riddle's up here. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think, um... A sphinx counts as an example of charismatic megafauna. <laughs> I mean, I suppose it's pretty big, isn't it? It's, I don't know how charismatic it was. It was a bit more gnomic than charismatic. Gnomic megafauna. Am I an example of charismatic megafauna? Are you charismatic? Ouch. Oh, right in the feelings. Oedipus is charismatic. Um, well, okay, well, go be his best friend then. So this is all happening, and on top of that, Thebes' king has just died, leaving a fairly young and hot widow named Jocasta. But there's nobody there anymore, no king, to protect the city against this weird f***ing word puzzle cat. I don't know if you knew this, Daniel, but this is actually where the SATs originated. Oh, uh, really? Well, it says it here on my paper, so it must be true. Yeah, we don't have those in England. Weird f***ing word puzzle cat is to charismatic megafauna as Abby is to blank. Yeah. That is hard. <laughs> I'm not going to go into the, you know, those good ones in America, am I? 
they're like tyrannized by this the Sphinx, aren't they? The people of Thebes. Yeah, yeah. They're, so it, it completely shuts them off and isolates them as a city. And the locals say that anyone who can answer the riddle of the Sphinx and thereby free the city from this curse of the gods can marry the queen and become the new king. And those two conditions do not need to be linked. I mean, that, that is a weird package deal. Do you come with the car? <laughs> you. <laughs> <laughs> So our main man, Oedipus here, who's probably a teenager at this point, visits the city, and he gets swept up in this whole Sphinx thing. He is able to answer the riddle, which is, what walks on four legs in the morning, two in the afternoon, and three at night? Do you know the answer, or do, do I get to shred you with my talons? I'm trying to think of something witty to say I can't, but I know what the answer is. <laughs> Damn it, Abby, don't ask me this. <laughs> I can't riff on it. It's a uh, person, isn't it? Because, like, babies crawl and then... You walk on two legs. And then you have a stick. Then you, yeah, you have a cane, yeah. It's a stupid riddle. The whole day thing doesn't, I don't like, really. That's That kind of confuses it, doesn't it? Mm. I would just be like, but then at the beginning of its life would make it too obvious. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Yeah, so... I'd say, what starts on four legs? That's what I would say. I wouldn't do the whole day metaphor. Well, you can, you can take it up with the Sphinx Union and ask them to get their people in order. You know, you could win, but you could win the strike against them if you know their riddle, right? That's the problem with <laughs> the Sphinxes, isn't it? So Oedipus is able to answer the Sphinx correctly. The Sphinx kills herself in defeat, which seems a little extreme to me. You could just say, yeah, that's right, I'm gonna bounce. So Oedipus marries the queen, becomes the new king, they have a couple of cute sproglets together, and he rules well for several years. Everything's all right! Or is it? This is all backstory that we do not get, and now we open the play properly. Are you ready for this play, Daniel? I've never been more ready for anything in my life. Are you sure? Because you seem sort of psychologically frail, and I'm worried this is going to awaken something new in you sexually. <laughs> sexually? <laughs> I'm game. I'll, we'll see what happens. Thebes. The big olive, as they say in uh, the Disney film. <laughs> it's one city, a million troubles. Thebes is a, is a town with problems. Everybody is prostrating themselves and making offerings to Athena. And the high priest is there and he tells Oedipus that the red waves of death are rocking the city-state. A blight on the fresh crops and the rich pastures. Cattle sicken and die and the women die in labour. Children are stillborn and the plague, the fiery god of fever, hurls down on the city, his lightning slashing through us. But, uh, just to carry on, Black Death luxuriates in the raw, wailing miseries of Thebes. The town has got a plague problem. Great. What's the good news? Also, th thanks for the recap purely for the audience's benefit. Like, Oedipus doesn't know what's going on. This is one of the reasons why I don't like the play, because it's just endless recaps. This is all sizzle, no steak. I disagree. I really like all of the, this bit and the description of the plague and everything and everybody frustrating themselves. The priest is like, you saved us from the Sphinx. When you uh, do it again, what have you done for me lately? In that kind of classic. Uh, you you solved one problem 15 years ago, and now all of a sudden you're the default guy forever. Well, I mean, that is how being tyrant kind of works, isn't it, unfortunately? Uh, I was just yeah. thinking the priest was like, you know, I loved Oedipus's early work. So Oedipus is like, don't worry, I've already sent my own brother-in-law, Creon, to Delphi, you know, the kind of uh, center of the Greek religion, to ask the oracle what, what we ought to do. I got a guy. He's yeah, on yeah, it. Yeah, don't worry. Don't worry. Yeah, way, way ahead of you. And luck would have it, Creon arrives back in Thebes just at that moment. So Oedipus asks for the plan, and Creon is like, Hi, can I talk to you over there quietly for a minute, away from all these people? And Oedipus, in a classic bullshit move, I hate this, I hate this in 
any film or book it's in goes, no, tell us all in front of everyone. <laughs> anything you can tell me, you can tell my Thebans. <laughs> this idiot should not be in charge of anything. I'm going to say this in an incredibly Whoopi Goldberg in ghost voice, but Thebes, you in danger, girl. Creon says that Apollo's message is, quote, drive the corruption from the land, don't harbor it any longer, past all cure, banish the man or pay back blood with blood. Murder sets the plague storm on the city. In short, somebody's been murdered, the murderer is still in the city, get rid of the murderer and the curse will be lifted. And the murder that they're talking about is the murder of the old king that Oedipus replaced. Old was his name, Le is it Laius? Yeah. The one who, when he died, everyone, including me, went gone and forgotten. He was a good king. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna disagree there. You send him out on the road. We'll see how good a king he is. I have, I have thoughts on this. Okay. So Oedipus goes into full detective mode because, believe it or not, this is the first, or at least one of the first, detective stories. And so Oedipus says, I will find this killer and make them pay. I'm going to reopen this cold case. And I was just thinking that an ancient Greek detective show where you have to solve the gods' mysterious bullshit would be a really terrible Amazon original. Yeah. This would be the sort of show that Amazon would shove down my throat even though it had one and a half stars. It would be called something terrible, like, um, on an all new, The Sleuthsayer. Yeah, very good. So Apollo said through the Oracle that the murderer is still in Thebes. Apollo gives some clues, but even though he the god clearly knows who the murderer is. He's like, no, nah, I'm just gonna see how this plays out. I'm just gonna sprinkle a few breadcrumbs, see what happens. So here are the clues. Laius, the old king, was killed years ago when he went out to consult the oracle himself, but he just never came home. No one on the road saw what happened, and all of Laius's retinue was murdered along with him. Only one of his men escaped, and he sort of fled from Thebes in trauma. He's sort of retired in the countryside. And Oedipus, who apparently has never heard how this previous king died, curious much, Oedipus? Yeah, in your interview, you'd be like, what happened to my predecessor? <laughs> yeah, why is this role available? Yeah, yeah. He just is there going, the f you say, why didn't you track them down, you hopeless rubes? And he just, he really goes off on one on all the locals. And the townsfolk blame the Sphinx for distracting them. I love them. this bit. I love them being like, <laughs> sorry, I'm gonna read. Go on. The singing, riddling Sphinx persuaded us to let the mystery of Laius's murder go and concentrate on what lay at our feet. Why is the Sphinx calling the shots? This is a sign to me that the old king was an asshole because they're like, honestly, Oedipus, back in those days, there was a lot going on. We had one of those workplace incident counters and we were just constantly setting it back to zero. We just didn't have the bandwidth to deal with this guy. So Oedipus vows to avenge Laius and to put the city to rights. And then the chorus of city folk enters and laments the sort of terrible conditions of the city and it begs the god to help them. So again, we get more like, just to recap what was happening, you know, Oedipus talks directly to the chorus saying, quote, You pray to the gods? Let me grant your prayers. Whoa, bad sign. Yeah. Uh -uh. You need to put a bleeding jingle in for that. Some kind of like... But what, the hubris The hubris jingle. horn, <laughs> yeah. He's like, I got a Twitter blue check. I'm the guy you come to. Yeah. Enough said. And then he curses the murderer saying, quote, Whoever he is, let that man drag out his life in agony, step by painful step. I curse myself as well if by any chance he proves to be an intimate of our house. Oedipus, you are an intelligent man, allegedly. So why, 
why would you open the door for that? Just This guy is a clown, and we should not support him. I think that's good statesmanship, right? If there's a big problem that's like affecting everyone, and you're worried that it might be coming from your own government, you would be like, well, if, it's, if we find it in the, our government, that guy will get in trouble. So he's a good leader. Stop defending him! I think Oedipus is... well... <laughs> The investigation begins. Oedipus he puts on his Mac, doesn't he, and starts kind of sleuthing around town. Starts asking around the people of Thebes for any leads on Laius's killer. And the Thebans are like, oh, can't the gods just tell us? <laughs> and They really, really do not care about Laius's murder, do they, though? They're like, yeah, yeah, he died, thoughts and prayers. I like that about the people of Thebes. That's the joke in the Hercules film, isn't it? That they're all like... Apathetic. Well, yeah, and they just need someone to turn up and help them. So that's, I think that's quite a funny characterization. I, I mean, I bet it's funny Athenians being like, yeah, it's bloody lazy Thebans. Are you basing your critical opinion of this on the Disney film? No, I just think that's a funny... I like the fact that they pick Thebes because that is the place with all the problems. Really? Because I feel like seven-year-old Daniel with his little baby frosted tips and his little baby rat tail is actually coming through now and... <laughs> did you have frosted tips? I've never heard that term, but I think I know what you mean, and no, I did not. Did you have a rat tail? Obviously not. Next, Oedipus brings on Tiresias, a blind prophet who might know who done it. Lucky for Oedipus, there is a, a guy that actually has sort of, you know, magical powers and can... <laughs> you know, that's, if you like, that helps investigations, doesn't it, if you have somebody that's kind of... That helps a cold case, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Tiresias turns up and says, How terrible to see the truth when the truth is only pain to him who sees. Just send me home. You bear your burdens, I'll bear mine. It's better that way. Please believe me. So he, he's kind of implying that he knows what's going on, but he doesn't want to tell Oedipus. But, I mean, what's Oedipus going to do here, even if he's like, you don't want to know. Honestly, you don't want to know. It's like, okay, well, great. I still have a dying city. Yeah, well, I mean, sorry, it's a question of policy. Really. Yeah. <laughs> So Oedipus, yeah, Oedipus says that. You're putting Thebes at risk. I'm going to press you. Uh, Make sure they get a first pressing. Uh, yeah, olive oil. Very good. Yeah. yeah did, did you hear my joke, Daniel? Yeah. Did you hear it? Did you get it? Because they're Greek. Greek. Pressing. Giles Corey plus... Greece olive equals olive oil. Did you like it? Yeah, I did like it. Did you hear you. it? Okay, yeah. I just wanted to really make sure that. I feel like you're got pressing it. me now. <laughs> That's a good one. Oedipus <laughs> continues. Or maybe you, you were in on Elias' death. You know, maybe you're trying to muddy mm. the waters a bit. And Tiresias is like, uh, I don't think so. You are the curse, the corruption on the land. Oedipus is uh, unhappy with that and calls Tiresias the scum of the earth. Yeah, Oedipus is like, motherfucker, and Tiresias is like, not yet. Just wait, <laughs> wait. So, Oedipus is like, infamy, infamy, they've all got it infamy. Everybody's out to get me. <laughs> He's like, Tiresias, you're crap because you're blind. You know, he has a little, has a go at him. Yeah. He says foreshadowingly. Yeah, <laughs> and Tiresias is like, you with your precious eyes. You're blind to the corruption of your life, to the house you live in, those you live with. Who are your parents? Do you know? All unknowing, you are the scourge of your own flesh and blood. Soon you'll learn the truth about your marriage. The wedding march that sang you into your halls. The lusty voyage home to the fatal harbour. Gross. is like, yeah, don't worry about it. That's all just a bunch of rid riddly bollocks. And Tyrese is like, but you're good at riddles, right? And uh, so it's kind of... Tyrese is really laying into him. Uh, yeah, he's like, mic drop. Tiresias out. That's such a dick way to end. And Oedipus is like, you better get the f*** out of my palace before I beat you with whatever the ancient Greek equivalent of batteries is. Yeah, what did they have instead of batteries? Um, magnets? Lamps? Yeah, olive oil again. It's all olive oil, isn't it? The whole economy is based on olive oil. Tiresias leaves the Thebans with a final riddle. No, I'm sick of this! The man you've sought so long proclaiming, cursing up and down, the murderer of Laius, he's here. 
a stranger, you may think, who lives among you. He soon will be revealed a native Theban, but he will take no joy in the revelation. Blind who now has eyes, a beggar who now is rich, he will grope his way toward a foreign soil, a stick tapping before him step by step. Revealed at last, brother and father, both to the children he embraces, Ugh. to his mother, son, and husband both. He sowed the loins his father sowed. He spilled his father's blood. And the Thebans are like, oh, that's a, that's a tricky one. They, they can't work it out. <laughs> so then Oedipus, who is starting to get a little roid ragey, throws Creon, his brother-in-law, under the bus, saying, is this all Creon's doing? This f***ing prankster. So Oedipus goes from zero to 60 so fast, you've got to know that there's got to be some historical tension between these two guys. The Greek chorus comes in, and they tell us what to think about this whole situation. They recap it Thank you. and tell us what to think. I love a Greek chorus. They are such a gossipy literary device. Mm. They just come in, they rehash what we've just seen, but add in a little extra like bitchiness and comment on people's drama, and then they piss off until there's more stuff to well, talk I, about. I, I'm one of those people in the cinema who goes like, oh, what's going on now? You know, so I would need a kind of Greek chorus behind me maybe in the, in the cinema to explain it, mm -hmm. pre preferably in a kind of highly formal literary manner. The next scene, it's implied that there's a little bit of time that's passed. Creon comes in and addresses both Oedipus and the crowd, saying that he's heard Oedipus has been talking some shit about him. And Creon, in I think a brilliant move here, does a little concern trolling of, is Oedipus okay? Is he in his right mind? Or, on a special two-part sleuthsayer, we cut to, you're a loose cannon, Eddie, turning your badge and your weapon. With in this city-state, we go by the scroll! <laughs> So Oedipus says Creon and Tiresias are definitely trying to frame him, Oedipus, for Laius' murder because he thinks Creon secretly wants the throne. What would Tiresias get out of the situation though? That, that's the one thing that's never really explained to me. There's literally no gain for him unless, because this play has no queer reading in it, he, Tiresias and Creon are secretly nefarious boyfriends. Finally, yes. Yeah. For a Greek play as well, come on. A bit more of that, please. <laughs> so Creon says, Oedipus, we have some weird sort of three-way monarch system where you, my sister who's your wife, and I all sort of rule equally, but you're the king, so you get all the pressure and flack. I already have a good chunk of the power, but none of the responsibility or stress. Why would I want that? Like, I don't have to do any of those stupid Kate and Will's tours of the Commonwealth or whatever. I don't have to worry about being assassinated. Why would I try to off you? You are my buffer. Mm. But none of this sinks in at all because... No, it's not true. <laughs> it, well, we are no longer in Oedipus versus Creon. We are in Oedipus versus reality, friend. And Creon's like, okay, what do you want? What is the solution? Do you want me banished or something? And then Oedipus says he wants him dead. And everyone there is like, can we just pump the breaks. So now, of course, is a good time for Jocasta, Oedipus's wife and Creon's sister, to come in. So she... Whoa, 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 she's like that, isn't she? Bring, she's bringing some real mom energy to the situation, yelling at them all for airing their dirty laundry in public. I'm just going to say it, Daniel, men are too emotional to rule. So Jocasta talks Oedipus off a ledge. She says her brother Creon is not a traitor. So Oedipus relents and he just banishes Creon. A little a little light banishment. I don't know if you know this, I too was recently kicked out of Greece. Oh really? What for? Uh, well, admittedly I was 
drunk and naked in an airport. But I'm, I'm seeing a lot of similarities. It's will of the gods, no culpability on my part. Oh, it, yeah, it's, yeah, 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 yeah. What about the bit where Creon says, look at you, sullen and yielding, brutal in your rage. You'll go too far. It's perfect justice. Natures like yours are hardest on themselves. That's a little foreshadowing. Some more of it, please. Did you turn Bostonian for a minute? Oh, I think it was more kind of northern. You'll go too far, you push. I would love to match your accents, but I cannot hit a moving target. <laughs> <laughs> are we Greek? Are we Bostonian? Where Greco-Bostonian. Ah, uh, that, that no. famous combination. They both like beans, don't they? That's not a joke. That's a serious remark. I mean, everybody likes beans, don't they? I'm not a big fan. More for you. Yeah, you not got your finger on the pulse. Wink! Uh, <laughs> um, oh, Daniel, don't help me anymore <laughs> on this podcast. Just read your script. Okay. Um, Oedipus explains everything, what's going on to Jocasta. Yeah, we get another recap, just in case you're wondering. I like the recaps. Uh, he says that Creon got Tiresias to say that he had murdered Laius. Jocasta's like... Oh, well, Tiresias and other soothsayers, not soothsayers, mind, which have a proper role. Tiresias and other soothsayers, uh, they're talking bollocks. They don't, you don't need to worry about them. Nothing human can penetrate the future. Here's proof. An oracle came to Laius one fine day and declared that doom would strike him down at the hands of a son, our son, to be born of our own flesh and blood. She's like, not only was Laius killed reportedly by strangers at a fork in the road, but just in case the prophecy did come true, they had their newborn baby abandoned on the mountainside. And they fastened the three-day-old baby's ankles, you know, in case he decided to sprint back from the mountain and pull vault through the no, window. They like athletics down there, don't they? Just, yeah, so don't worry, honey, this was all solved by low-grade infanticide. It's great, it totally worked. Yeah. Laius was definitely murdered by strangers at a three-way intersection instead of by the dead child, who was absolutely, definitely dead. Yeah, Wait. funny thing to find out about your wife, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, he's like, hold the phone, yeah, yeah, infanticide, whatever. Did you say Laius got murdered at a three-way intersection? Like, that's the point of contention here. And Jocasta goes, well, that's the rumor anyway. Honestly, my dead husband just kind of never came back, and we all moved on really fast. The guy was a f***ing no-mark. <laughs> I didn't even pay attention to where he got killed. <laughs> So Oedipus starts freaking out, asking exactly when Laius died. It turns out Laius died immediately before Oedipus himself reached Thebes and beat the Sphinx back in the day. And Oedipus then goes, what did Laius look like? And Jocasta says, now that you mention it, Laius looked a lot like you. Guess I've got a type. So Oedipus asks how big Laius' entourage was, and Jocasta says, there were five in his party, one of whom was this herald who escaped slaughter and has since run away from Thebes to deal with his PTSD. And they ask if they can get that herald back from retirement. Herald, <laughs> get down here. Somebody, somebody from Thebes to see you. Herald. What a droopy dog. Why are you here? <laughs> how, uh, Americans pronounce Harold, isn't it? Harold. Harold. Oedipus. He has a little soliloquy on his upbringing, doesn't he? Well, he just basically recites his Wikipedia page, which you think his wife of 15 years would already know, but I guess not. Like like we discussed in our last episode, they uh, like to keep the mystery alive by not learning anything about each other. So Jocasta's just like, everything I know about you, I learned against my will. So, he, uh, Oedipus was raised as a prince of Corinth by mm. King Polybus, which means all the buses. <laughs> 
or lots of buses. And Queen Merope. Which means it's my rope. <laughs> Until one day, at a banquet, some drunken so-and-so shouted something about how Oedipus wasn't really his father's son. And Oedipus is like them's fighting words and presumably fought him. Don't really go into much detail about that, fortunately. Uh, next, Oedipus' parents are like, oh, don't listen to him, boy, oh, don't, don't worry about him. But the rumour mill kept on a-whirring. So Oedipus decided to leave Corinth to see the Oracle at Delphi, to do a bit of soul-searching, right? This Oracle's getting some pretty good business from them over the years. I mean, is... I wouldn't want to visit the Oracle after all the things they've gone through, but... But yeah. is this play just a prolonged advert for an Oracle? Is this sponsored by Big Pythia? The oracle tells him, you are fainted, no. You are fainted. Uh, yeah, so please wake up. <laughs> <laughs> so the oracle told Oedipus that you are fated to couple with your mother. <laughs> you will bring a breed of children into the light that no man can bear to see. <laughs> Women won't mind. Um, <laughs> you will kill your father. Oedipus is upset. He says, well, I'll probably go into self-imposed exile now from Corinth so I don't accidentally kill my dad and bed my mother. I mean, most university-age kids leave home to get a little freedom, not because they're worried they're going to boink their mom, but... <laughs> Greece! All of this stuff is subconscious. So, as I fled, Oedipus says, I reached that very spot where the great king, you say, met his death. In a fit of road rage, Oedipus single-handedly killed a retinue that very much resembled Jocasta's description of Laius. And if it was Laius, then what about the other half of the prophecy? Yeah, he's like, honey, I don't. I know it's on a dead cert, but you add up enough overlapping prophecies and, baby, you got a stew going. Uh, yeah, or uh, um, some moussaka. <laughs> um, Jocasta says, don't worry about any of that. Even if you did kill Laius, that doesn't mean the prophecy was enacted. That's very easygoing of the widow. Isn't it? like, <laughs> they, she was in on it, wasn't she? Um, she, <laughs> she hated that asshole. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, she's like, well, yeah. Even if you did kill the guy, how could that boy that we left for dead have survived? So Jocasta is a stone cold sociopath, right here. Oedipus is kind of rants a bit, doesn't he? All these curses, I, no one but I, brought down these piling curses on myself. And you, his wife, I've touched your body with these, the hands that kill your husband, cover you with blood. So, nice to renew your vows, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I also think that Jocasta is a terrible queen because the prophecy said that Laius would be killed by his son. They don't say anything about it being a son with her, do they? Ooh, what has Laius been... Well, I was just thinking, has Game of Thrones taught you nothing about how many sons a king can have? I don't think they saw that. I think there are better things to do in ancient Greece. Name literally one thing. Uh, geometry. No, that's crap. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to know the story about my dad getting into a teenage fender bender that ended in road rage with a much older man? This is, a, this is an honest-to-God story. Lay it on me. My dad, when he was probably... 18 was at a stop sign and some old dude ran into him and uh, the guy got out and was really really pissed off and was trying to drag my dad out of the car and he leaned in and he punched him and he kept demanding that my dad fight him and my dad's like there is no way this story ends well it's either teenage boy beats up old man or teenage boy gets ass handed to him by old man so he just sped off you know? yeah. see that's what you should do on my <laughs> oedipus who immediately flew off the handle and killed five guys we get a bit more from the Greek chorus. You remember them. They're my favourite character. Who's <laughs> going to be playing them? We'll find out. And they talk about the importance of destiny and the gods. Don't try and get around them, is their message. <laughs> pride breeds the tyrant. Violent pride gorging. Crammed to bursting. 
with all that is overripe and rich with ruin, clawing up to the heights. Uh, don't know what accent I'm in. God, America really is a melting pot, yeah. Daniel. You can segue right from one to the other. Is the moral of this play, let go and let God? Is that something people say? It's an Alcoholics Anonymous thing. Oh, see, I, I, I wouldn't know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, cheers! Yeah. Then a messenger turns up. And says, Oedipus's Corinth king daddy has died and made Oedipus also now the king of Corinth. And I just think, please stop. One city full of bullshit and one dead father is more than ample for us to be dealing with. So Oedipus, despite the suspicion that he was adopted by his Corinth parents, and despite his worry that Laius was really his father and his now wife is really his mother, is like, oh hooray, Daddy died. At least that's one prophecy that didn't come true. They said I would go murder my dad, but Corinth Daddy died of old age and sickness or something. Should I go back to the funeral? Wait, what if I go to the funeral and accidentally bang my mom? Yeah, that pretty classic heavy question. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'll throw you too many oozers at the old wake, and <laughs> you'll never guess where I found myself. <laughs> So Jocasta says, quote, Have no fear, many a man before you in his dreams has shared his mother's bed. Take such things for shadow, nothing at all. It's pretty easy going, isn't she? Uh, Daniel, I, I gotta go. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to be a party to this anymore. I'm starting to feel complicit. So do you have the rest of this episode? Um, I've got my braille sheet. And then, Daniel... Then, the messenger, who's just sort of awkwardly listening to this conversation... Mm, I'm still here. <laughs> ...goes, Hey, um, I don't know if this is really my place to butt in, but Oedipus, you could totally sleep with your Corinth daddy's widow, also known as your mom, at the funeral if you want, because she's not really your mom. Oedipus says, F***ing quoi? And then the messenger explains that years ago, he actually found Oedipus on a mountain as an infant with his legs bound, and he gave the baby to the childless royal couple in Corinth. And Oedipus goes, oh yeah, I have always had these weird scars on my ankles. Who would have thought that would have twigged something when Jocasta said they bound her baby's ankles, but nope, I'm just a big sad himbo. Whenever he gets near Jocasta, the scars hurt, don't they? Because <laughs> he's like Harry Potter. The fact that she mentions binding the baby's ankles, and that didn't twig anything. Are, how sure are we that Oedipus is Thebes' best and brightest? In the land of the footless, the guy with the f***ed up ankles is king. However stupid Oedipus might be, the, Which people, is of very. the people of Thebes are, you know, you can't even imagine how stupid those guys are. And she kind of freaks out and runs off and says, Ay, ay! <laughs> Man of agony! That is the only name I have for you! That, no other, ever, ever, ever! So pet name. Uh. <laughs> Honestly, I want this story to be darker. I think I could go there. I want infanticide, I want incest, and I want Oedipus to have a drinking problem. Well, I feel like he probably will after this. But Oedipus doesn't really uh, peg, does he, what's going on? And he says, well, I count myself the son of chance, and I don't, I'm happy if I'm the son of slaves, you know? I don't, I don't even care what I find out. Jocasta's figured out what's going on. Oedipus still isn't quite managing to put two and two together, or maybe he's lying to himself. I don't know. The old servant, the herald who ran off when Laius was killed, the only man to escape, he finally shows up. He shows up with the sort of exhausted energy of an ex-con being asked to do one last job. 
And he basically just confirms the story. He's like, yep, you are Jocasta and Laius's baby. They bound your feet. They stuck you on a mountain. You were given to the king and queen of Corinth. Then a messenger turns up with some more disturbing news. He's a local messenger <laughs> in-house. And he says, <laughs> Jocasta is dead by her own hand. She hanged herself. Get Therapy. You know what I would have done if I were Jocasta? Instead of killing myself, I would have taken my husband's son and put him in one of those, like, baby Bjorn snuggies and started healing some of those childhood wounds. Integrate it into their sex life. Get weird with it. Um, yeah. There's, there's a far cry from your previous remarks about Chaco and uh, his mother. So, so you're really just going along with it. Just, you know. Well, you called me a hypocrite now, so I feel yeah, like I need to. Yeah, go along with it. Yeah. yeah, okay, great. Then the uh, messenger's like, well, Oedipus ran in and in a rage grabbed her brooches and stabbed himself in the eyes with the pins on the brooches. I, I know he doesn't kill himself here, but we are so close to being able to say he died doing what he loved, undressing his mom. <laughs> oh, God. Um, <laughs> this is so gross. I'm sorry. I'm I, trying to cut the tension I want to read this because I love this I bit. hate this. Look, this, this, is good, this is the kind of messenger you want, isn't it? A real poetical messenger. <laughs> it's not, it's, this is not just the basic facts. Looking straight up into the points, he digs them hmm. down the sockets of his eyes, crying, You'll see no more the pain I suffered, all the pain I caused. Too long you looked on the ones you never should have seen, blind to the ones you longed to see, to know, blind from this hour on, blind in the darkness, blind. Okay, Daniel, I gotta go. <laughs> his voice, like a dirge, rising over and over, raising the pins, raking them down his eyes, and at each stroke, blood spurts from the roots. I'm gonna head out. Do you guys validate Parker? Splashing his beard, a swirl of it, nerves and clots, black hail of blood, pulsing, gushing down. This guy obviously gets paid by the word, doesn't he? <laughs> And uh, they once seemed so happy that suddenly <laughs> they seemed so happy. Uh, that is the most banal statement that you say about a casual acquaintance you hear is getting divorced. Yeah. <laughs> so we enter the final bit on the season finale of Sleuthsayer. Okay, so as this is reported, everyone in the palace is like, well, shit, this escalated quickly. Is this like on in one afternoon or something? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, pretty much. Busy old day. Yeah. So Oedipus comes in, blinded now, a new widower, saying that his life is just a cemetery of trammeled hopes and dreams, and everyone's like, yep, sure is, friend. And then, yes, I suppose it is. <laughs> Even the people of Thebes can finally <laughs> recognize something's up. Oedipus wonders where he can possibly go on Earth, where the stain of this won't follow him and torture him forever. And I'm just thinking, like, what about your kids, Oedipus? And he's like, well, I guess they're monsters. Good luck to them. <laughs> then Creon, you know, recently banished Creon comes in, and he uses the phrase, I leave you people alone for five minutes, writ large. And so it's decided that Creon will inherit the throne, I guess, totally bypassing Oedipus's and Jocasta's daughters, because screw those incest goblins. And Oedipus goes... Boy, is my face red. How will I ever win Creon's trust back after all the smack I talked about him? So Oedipus begs Creon to drive him from the land to a place where he can, quote, never hear a human voice. And Creon's like, yeah, not a problem. Very happy for you to go off. Fuddy bye. And I get that Creon has taken over Thebes. What the fuck is going to happen to Corinth? Who takes over Corinth yes, in this? the Corinthian constitutional crisis. So Creon drives Oedipus out of the city, and the chorus says, they'll just watch for his death because you can, quote, count no man happy till he dies, free of pain at last. The end. 
Yeah, great stuff. The moral of the story is, there is no moral. This play has no point. They put a single ounce of plot in a refrigerator box and filled the rest of it up with crumpled newspapers and old Walmart receipts. And I love this play, apart from all the parts that made me furious, which were all of them. And so that's not really a moral or an analytical discussion so much as a highly emotional reaction. But here we are. Good day, sir. The end. I hated it. I have two questions actually before we do casting, which aren't really related to anything, but they don't fit into the analysis. Question one, do you think all the moms in ancient Greece were just really hot? Milfopolis, am I right? <laughs> that's, that's funny, that, yeah. Uh, I'm wondering, first of all, how much Jocasta knew? Mm. And secondly, yeah, how old is Jocasta? I'm guessing maybe like 15 years older than him. You can't get yeah, much exactly. older or younger. They, for them to have had children as well. Yeah. So he must have what, turned up when he was like 16 and she was like in her 30s. Yeah. Right. The second question I have is, I couldn't stop thinking about this, with Jocasta and Oedipus in their more private moments, which was the big spoon and which was the little spoon? Don't answer that because actually there's no wrong answer here. It's perfect. It works either way. Moving on. Did they have spoons in Greece? Classicists, did they have spoons in ancient Greece? Right in. Casting. Okay. I've had a bad run of casting lately because the last few books... It's poor. Yeah. yeah. Mm, thank you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'd like to see you try. It's um, difficult. The you have, and I'm not very good. The last, the last couple of books have been really bad, but I think I'm back. I'm back, baby. Hit me. What we're going to do is we need to make this film as alien as possible. Just make it feel really weird. I want it to be uncomfortable. We're going to get Lars von Trier to direct this as part of his depression series. We're going to make it very long, very weird, incredibly depressing. And we're going to cast actual family members as Oedipus and Jocasta. Whoa, we're, wild times. We are casting the Gyllenhaal siblings. We're going to age up Maggie slightly. We're going to age down Jake a little bit. Or if you want to be a little so bit... So he playing Jocasta and she's... That's cute. Maybe also we could do Jada Pinkett Smith and Jaden Smith if we want to get really weird with it. And then as you, you mentioned, who's going to play the chorus? I want them, again, to reinforce the alienness, all played by the same person. Who is incredibly... That guy that played all the Umpalumpas in the Tim Burton. <laughs> no, well, I was thinking a lesser director would cast Tilda Swinton, but I don't want that. Who's worked with Lars von Trier before? Who would be the weirdest f***ing choice? Shia LaBeouf. I want Bjork in the role of every single chorus Theban. member. The many Thebans uh, are all Bjork. Yeah. That's, uh, could be interesting. Yeah. No, you don't like it. You're unimpressed. I think this is great. I think you're dead wrong about the play. I thought it was really good. I didn't mind all the recapping because I kind of thought that was the point. And also, not every artwork has to have a moral, does it? I was obviously joking yeah, about the no, moral. I know, but, yeah. My problem with the play is that, as we've discussed before, it feels inherently conservative to me of just, well, surrender yourself up. You should just be lucky to get what you get, even if it's terrible. It's two things, though, isn't it? Because it's there's a impossible to divide issue about fate versus agency, mm. isn't there? And I really like that because it, yeah. It's a once incredibly conservative and saying like, you know, you're, we're all in the lap of the gods. There's nothing you really can do. Even the great will be brought low if the gods 
dictate it. But equally, the kind of extreme pessimism of it, that's there's a kind of radicalism to that, isn't there? To say that like, well, like Oedipus says in that later play, not to be born is best. I feel like there's something kind of liberatory about saying the world's crap. I feel like a, a truly conservative art form would be like, everything's as it should be. And this is not like that. This is like, things are shit, And I kind of admire that. I can see what you're saying. I intensely hate that with all my being. It's chilling in this, isn't it? Because like, it's, it's perfectly acceptable to say that the world is crap and then think, how can we improve it? This is saying the world is crap and you can't improve it, but which I kind of... Uh... It's not even leaning... I don't even necessarily mind that in and of itself, but it's not even leaning into how chilling it could be. That's why I view this as a little conservative. This isn't even necessarily sinister. It's just... This is how it is. Yeah. And it, it, it's a little it's a little blasé about how it is. So if it wanted to lean into this is awful, but it kind of is pulls its punches a little bit. The, the fact that there is there's no wasted word, there's no wasted bit of emotion in this. It feels very clinical and very dry and well, you've had it and you, you've oh, seen it know. and you've you're done with it. I don't know about that. I mean the plot is actually quite economical in the way that it works. That's true. There's a kind of weird mechanical quality. But the actual style, right, it's, it's clear, but it's also very poetical, isn't it? It's a weird reading. Maybe Ooh. you'd probably even cut it, because it's, it's quite... I cherish strange. a weird reading. But I was thinking that whole, the not to be born is best, is better to have never been born than to have ever lived, or whatever, you know, however they translate that. <laughs> is Oedipus's return to the womb, so to speak, and the fact that he has sex with his mother, is, is that like a sort of living metaphor for the desire not to have been born and to return to the womb? Ooh, that's sick. I like I know, that. I that is sick, isn't Ooh. it? Yeah. But I, thought, I, I wondered if that's what Sophocles is playing on. Daniel, how does that make you feel? <laughs> yeah, is that, is, that, is that really weird? Talk to me more about this. No, 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 that's a, that's a valid reading. I mean, come on, this, this play in conjunction with psychoanalytic reading... You are probably not the first person to think of I'm that. I'm sure I'm not, yeah. But that's really good. I really, really like yeah. that. See, the thing is, whenever you talk about Oedipus, you talk me into liking it. And then I return to the source material and I go, I hate this. So <laughs> I'm talking about it in this very bombastic way. Whereas when I was reading it, I was just like, this is, it's like a make or something. I was like, this is unputdownable. <laughs> it is funny that discussing it with you every time, because we've, we've talked about this recently for a work thing, I'm like... All right, man, he's he's really cooking with fire now. I get it, I get it. And then I just, I return to it and I think, this is just not my thing. Yeah. And that's fine. Yeah, the genre. Tragedy. Tragedy? I was thinking of this as as the sort of first detective story. Yeah. Even down to... The I done it. That's cute. It's such a trope of detective fiction that whatever case he gets wrapped up in, it always bounces back somehow mm. on the detective's life. And I was just thinking how resilient detective fiction is, even from this. The whole cracking open the cold case, the unsolvable thing. Oh my god, my wife's yeah, mixed yeah. That's up the in best it. kind of case, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but also the, the sort of fallibility of laws, because you get that a lot, the sort of in a lot of film noir and a lot of crime fiction, the whole sort of, well, this is technically the law, but is it just and is it right? And we have here things like Laius's murder, well, that will not stand. Infanticide, eh, you nobody had to, You had to do what you had to do, didn't you? Yeah, but it's just, it's, it's, we can see here, I don't know, I was thinking when I was casting this, instead of a Lars von Trier depression film, I was like, this might make a really interesting noir. I was thinking more in that sort of vein. I, mean, but I didn't really I, properly think about the casting, as you know, but... But uh, I thought that would be a bit more obvious. obvious yeah. yeah. Poli what do you think about the political aspects of it? Do you think it, there is anything kind of about the nature of kingship, or do you think the democratic 
Athen- Athenians were making fun of Thebes. Well, I definitely think anytime a piece of artwork that's very tied to one city then discusses conspicuously another city, yeah. or two in this instance, uh, Thebes and Corinth, I assume there's a lot of nuance there that you and I are yeah, missing. Yeah, never gonna know. Yeah. There's, there's clearly a lot of in-jokes about Corinth and Thebes. I love this style the kind of the weird poetical style just okay. I've got nothing really to say about that but all the kind of black misery all crawling over everything and red death you can tell that they probably didn't have very like exciting sets in ancient Greece you just, you're just on some like stone block aren't you so you need this kind of incredibly uh, versatile and poetical vocabulary to be the audience's eyes. But it would be rubbish to just see Oedipus de-eyeballing himself, like the actor doing that, however good the special effects were. But having that guy, oh, well, man, he was digging in and tugging at uh, the roots. And, you know, I really love that. It's very kind of, yeah, it's very poetical. Um, you are my photo negative. <laughs> I really was turning pale <laughs> when you were talking about Oh, it was a horrible bit, yeah, obviously. But... but you, I mean, you're like, but I simply must read it. It's in the Odyssey as well, though, when they poke the Cyclops' the eyes out, they talk about all the roots all snapping and oh. stuff. Obviously, the Greeks were, they were Obsessed. a bloodthirsty bunch, weren't they? Well, that brings me to a bit of advice. There's a lot in this about the gaze and eyes and who's Lovely blind guys. and yeah. who can... <laughs> Daniel. Sorry. Gaze, G-A-Z-E, not G-A-Y-S, thank you. Oh, okay. Whenever you're reading a text, always pay attention to eyes and vision and power because those things are almost always related. Mm. If you get anything that deals with a lot of who's looking at whom, whose you know, eyes are doing what, just that that's a really easy way for you to close read. I'm handing you that one for free. Write an essay about that. So the clue to the next episode is we are back in the Victorian era. What? That's a shock. And this book ends on a semi-optimistic execution. Now that could be at least two very famous Victorian novels. Which one? And of course, I've got a really good clue, right? That was the you, clue. No, my really good clue. You got my clue, right? What? Oh, what? I, what you, where, where? I slid it under the door. Oh, oh, look, it's here under the carpet. Oh, bloody hell! You actually properly freaked me yeah, out. I can tell, yeah. Daniel ruining it as always. That's a great clue. That's a great clue. Well, that tells them now which which book we're doing. Okay, guys, thank you for listening. Please write into our email at savemefrommyshelf at gmail.com or tweet us at smfms underscore podcast. Please subscribe wherever you listen and thanks. Ta-ra! Thanks for listening to Save Me From My Shelf. Our music is... The Overture to Don Giovanni by Mozart and cover art is by Catherine Wu. Our thanks to Aston University's Centre for Critical Inquiry and to Society and Culture for funding the startup of this podcast. Contact us at savemefrommyshelf at gmail.com or at smfms underscore podcast on Twitter. And do not, I'm going to remind you, do not forget to rate, review, and subscribe do not forget thank you